And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where it's 2024. Holy smokes, we had a holiday weekend trade that never happens. The New York Knicks and the Toronto Raptors uh, currently at odds in a lawsuit. That's a thing. Uh, decided to throw that aside and make a trade and end our long era of endless Toronto Raptors rumors that lead nowhere except to an inexplicable Jakob Pertl trade. The Knicks, swinging big, acquire OG and Anobi in exchange for R.J. Barrett, who I think now gets known as Canadian R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a Detroit Pistons second-round pick that, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard, but the Pistons are very bad, will probably be the 31st or 32nd pick in the draft. Almost a first-round pick. The Raptors, uh, this is seemingly endless months and months and years of, you know, is this team going anywhere? Should we continue to invest in this team? Maybe, maybe not. And just had come to the conclusion, I wrote about this, I, I think even a month ago, I said on this pod, or maybe three weeks ago, I said on the podcast, I would bet heavily on them making at least one trade. I, I thought they had reached the moment of clarity of this team just isn't very good. These three guys, Barnes, Siakam, and Anobi just don't fit very well. There could very well be a Siakam trade coming down the road. In fact, I would bet on there being a Siakam trade coming down the road. You never know with the Raptors, but if I had to bet, I would bet. And, you know, Kevin Pelton is here wearing his UW uh, University of Washington gear, big college football. Apparently, there's a couple big college football games today are you are you ready kevin i don't know if i'm really ready but uh by the time people listen to this they'll know whether i've had a good new year's day or not i guess um you know we're a year removed from the endless Ananobi rumors and i said at the time and others have since reported it or reported before and after that including bruce arthur i think most recently at the toronto star that the raptors had a, a market of three first round picks potentially for Ananobi at last year's trade deadline. And in comparison to that, this looks disappointing. However, I said then, and I will say now, people hear three first-round picks, and they imagine, whoa, three unprotected first-round picks like, you know, uh, the Jazz got here and and from, you know, the Jazz, the Thunder got from the, the Clippers. And I wrote at the time, like, if you look at, um, you know, Indiana was one of the teams that's been sniffing around Ananobi for a while. They had like a Boston first round pick and a Cleveland first round pick. The Grizzlies are on pace to be a good team for like the foreseeable future. Um, all their picks, if if and when they had weighed in, would have been slated to be, you know, end of the first round picks most likely. Like there are first round picks and there are first round picks and not all first round picks are created equal. And the Raptors, I think, very clearly have shown you here. We wanted players. We didn't want picks. We wanted players. We wanted young, good, cost-controlled players. Your crap picks are of no interest to us. Um, and and it also what happened is OG Ananobi a year ago was a year and a half left on his contract, now has half a year left on his contract with, with a championship contender in Philadelphia looming in the offseason as the max contract boogeyman threat that is coloring all of these trade talks right now. So all of that dynamic has changed, but I will start. Let's start in Toronto. Mr. Pelton, did they get enough and could they have done better? Had they acted earlier? I mean, I think they definitely could have gotten more had they acted earlier for the reasons that you just laid out. I mean, the other element is OG Ananobi is not playing quite as well now as he did last season, which is an interesting piece of this to unpack, particularly at the defensive end of the court where, you know, I think there was, 
a case for him to potentially be on the defensive player of the year ballot last year. He he was that that good and that impactful as the the league leader in steals. I I mean it's tough to know exactly what the market was for Ananobi. Obviously, they have the most information about it. I mean, the most interesting element of this is that they made the deal now on December 30th, instead of waiting until the trade deadline to see what else might materialize. So they had to have concluded that not only was this the best offer available now, it was better than any potential offer they could have gotten between now and then. And I think one interesting question in terms of the timing is, would this Knicks offer still have been there for them is a backstop on the trade deadline. Like if that's the case, then their urgency to move now was only if they think they, that it helps them this season because of the fact that Emmanuel quickly is a really good fit for them and brings a dimension in terms of outside shooting uh, from the guard position that they just don't have. And if that was their motivation for making the trade now, then I think that would be a mistake because, you know, being the ninth seed in the play in, or even if you get up to eighth, like really for who, for what? Like I, I know now it's trendy to, bash the not everyone has to blow everything up but this is a team that we've already seen like the upside is very very low for them if they're really doing that for this season that's a mistake well the i guess the exception would be how worried are you about giving the spurs like the seventh or eighth pick in the draft via the the purdle trade that i mentioned before it's top six protected for the next three seasons i think maybe two um how we're because they're not far from I mean, look the bottom four in the NBA is going to be an all-time awful bottom four no one is touching Washington Charlotte Detroit San Antonio and they'll they may have company down there from some other teams but Toronto's not far from that I, I guess they're, that would be seventh one. right now yeah yeah and 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 um seventh lowest is what you mean like and this pick is top top six protected to your point I think the trade is about Emmanuel quickly. I think they identified this player possibly as early as last season as someone they wanted if and when they decided we just cannot take OG Ananobi into free agency with the Sixers looming out there. And he's tailor-made for the Sixers, everything they need um, from sort of a, a third, fourth player. Uh, we just we can't do it. And if you look at the other teams that like it, look, Ananobi could fit anywhere. I mean, that's part of why he had such a wide market at the time and probably still would have like uh, just teams that I've mentioned before that make structural sense, not reporting or anything. We all know Philadelphia is trying to upgrade or has the assets now post hardened upgrade. They don't have the player that they would, I think view as the, that Toronto would want Oklahoma city who I, I'm starting to wonder, like, are they just good enough to win the championship without making any kind of trade? Like, have we just all missed the plot? I'm like, maybe they're just that good already, but they don't have a young player. I don't think that they would give up for OG and OB like a young, I mean, he's not a blue chip player, but he's a very, he's a good, I voted him six man of the year last year. Um, Sacramento is a team that I'm fascinated with for the next two months because they're good. And actually they're starting, they blew out the Grizzlies last night. They're starting to be just good, good. Like they were good, record much better than their point differential kind of wobbly they did change their starting five last night they benched Kevin Herter who's been in like a season-long slump that's something to monitor I don't know what they're going to do but I, I thought there was some natural synergy between them and Toronto but again who's the young player that Toronto can look at on that roster and say that's who we're targeting obviously it'd be Keegan Murray and they're not going to trade Keegan Murray for OG and Anobi uh, by the way the the 
Keegan Murray is one of my favorite little things in the Sacramento. Just they just nail all all the little details, the beam and that little fan call and response. And then Golden State, you know, I've heard Bill Simmons talk a lot about Golden State Toronto deals, mostly focusing on Siakam. They talked about Ananobi last year. Not sure how extensively because uh, uh, people didn't quite know what Toronto was going to do or feel that Toronto was really going to act. And you look at like. Kamingo would be the guy there. Kamingo's starting to play kind of like I've been hoping he would play since I was on the Jonathan Kamingo bandwagon the first time I saw him play. And I think the Warriors probably looked at Ananobi as like, to your point, he's plateaued this year and he's plateaued in exactly the way he's always played where, yeah, man, you may want more on ball chances and scoring chances. And by the way, you ain't going to a place where you're necessarily going to get them in New York but he's just so mechanical with the ball and mechanical is not how the Warriors play. And so you start to just kind of run out of places where the Raptors can get a player as good as quickly. And, you know, I, I like the quickly fit with Scotty Barnes. You, you seem to as well. Um, uh, it, it, why don't you elaborate on, on why, but I will, before we go there, I will say, I agree with you that they could have done better at last year's deadline. I don't know how much better, I don't really even think like meaningfully better to me. The cost of not acting early is less whatever the Delta is between this trade and that theoretical trade and more the Pirtle trade. I think the Pirtle trade is a mistake. I don't even think he's been very good this year. I think precious to has been as good as him for like lots of stretches of this season. If not, not all of it, but some of it. Um, and that pick is just out the door, and it's like, why? And then Van Vliet, I, I don't get as up in arms about Van Vliet walking for nothing as other people do, but to me, it's more about the Pirtle cost. But I don't know. Take it where you want to go. Yeah, it's the it's it's the sum of the parts. Like, any one individual, the, the Pirtle trade, I agree, was probably the most costly mistake that they made, especially if it is influencing this. They're thinking this season, in terms of what you mentioned at the start of all this, in terms of potentially giving San Antonio the seventh or eighth picks, and you know, it's easy for me to say this from the outside. I'm not the one who actually has to face the Toronto media and the Raptors fans. They should obviously not be worrying about that. The The best thing that they can do is give them a lower pick in future years if they can then build something stronger. And getting a top six pick this season, maybe not immediately, but at some point is going to be part of building that something stronger. I, I think one thing, the kind of big picture prioritizing players over picks yes quickly is cost controlled to a degree because he's going to be restricted free agent this summer and i think his contract will probably be pretty favorable for toronto although we'll see you know just what his market ends up looking like based on how he plays this season but that favorable contract is probably still going to be what in the 15 to 20 million a year range I think probably more. I agree it will be a good contract for Toronto. They haven't, the, we know that restricted free agency is an enormous piece of leverage. I think it'll be higher than that. I mean, that means they're paying, you know, him and Barrett combined like 45 million a season. The value of draft picks isn't necessarily the player, just the player you get, because everyone always does this. You know, I, how, what are the odds that a player is going to be better than Emmanuel Quickly or even RJ Barrett? Not that high, but. The value of the draft pick is you get them on a rookie contract for four years where you're paying them very little. And, you know, Toronto has some cap space scenarios depending on what they do with Pascal Siakam. That may not be the biggest deal, but 
eventually there's always an alternative cost to how you can use that salary. And that's why draft picks are, are so valuable in, in trade. Um, you know, as far as the, the market for him, I, yeah, I guess you're, you're probably right. I guess that gets back to the question of what they should have been prioritizing in this deal, whether it was picks or players. I, I do think you, you, you sort of uh, mentioned it a, a little bit in, in a tongue in cheek way. I thought before about, um, this sort of like, well, bl- look what happens if you, if you, everyone wants to blow it up, blow it up, blow this team up, blow that team up. Well, you might become the Pistons it, who are in year five of a rebuild, but are playing as if they are the worst rebuilding team in the history of the league in year one of a rebuild. You might be the Sacramento Kings who wander the desert of number seven and five and eight picks for 15 years before reaching relevance ever again. And I do think there is some of that at play. I think a couple of things happen. Number one, teams have gotten a little choosier about what's a really a, 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 an attractive first round pick. Like your top 15 protected pick from the Celtics doesn't, doesn't move us. And number two, I do think there is that sort of, I think Detroit is being held out there as like, oh boy, that's one cautionary tale. And as an aside for no reason, I, I've had people tell me like, with the second apron stuff really looming starting next season and and all that people are really watching the suns for you know like how does this does this three big star thing work in phoenix capping yourself out in terms of your roster flexibility and all that and all the gymnastics phoenix had to do with swap rights being split up here and there like voldemort's soul to try and get any tradable assets people are watching that too but i do think i do think that played into it you look at the raptors like the one year they really tanked was the Tampa year during the pandemic when I think they just decided, man, if there's ever a year to do this, like we don't even have a home arena or we're playing in Tampa Bay, like let's just cut the cord. And they got Scotty Barnes. Other than that, they don't really, they're one of many organizations that just doesn't have an appetite for this kind of thing, much like Indiana. And when I was trying to think of sort of comparative deals for this, and they're not, this is a really interesting trade, by the way, there are not a lot of trades like this um, where you sell a player and you get like your quote unquote acting as a seller and you get talented players back like that. That's pretty rare. I did think of like Paul George for Victor Oladipo as, as the kind of trade and Sabonis too came in that trade is the kind of trade where Indiana clearly was like picks schmicks. Like we don't want Boston. We don't want all your picks, like whatever you got to offer us. We want this player. Um, I thought that was interesting. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. R.J. Barrett. What is Mr. Pelton's take on R.J. Barrett, who's only 23 years old? Yeah, it's fascinating that we've gone this long without talking about the the highest drafted, highest paid player that Toronto got in return, other other than in the context of that salary. I I mean, there's still, I think, a path for him. The you know the obvious comparison that I made in my trade grades is to his fellow Canadian Andrew Wiggins, who you know was considered a stronger draft prospect. Wiggins was the reason that there. Part of the reason that there was this epic tank season in 2013-14 leading into that draft, you know, Barrett wasn't quite considered at that that level as a prospect. But, you know, the the issue is he's kind of shifted less on ball, more off ball with the arrival of Jalen Brunson and with Julius Randle still sopping up a huge share of possessions. His usage rate is still much higher than OG Ananobi's, and that's an interesting piece of this. You mentioned there might not be. Uh, a bigger on-ball role for Ananobi in New York. Someone does kind of have to fill that shot creation that Ananobi and Emmanuel quickly were doing. It'll be interesting to see that Barrett, that, Barrett, Barrett, and quickly. So yeah, take, yeah, yeah. Dante Divincenzo had a big game the other night with with all those guys out of the lineup after the trade. Uh, I think he probably factors into it to some extent since he's a much higher usage player than Quentin Grimes was in that fifth yeah. spot in the starting five. You know, every I. I a window into my sad brain. You know, I mentioned a few, several episodes that every few days I think about Gordon Hayward's leg injury in his opening game with the Celtics and the ripple effects of that on a much lower scale. Maybe every nine days, I remember that the Bucks traded Dante DiVincenzo for Serge Ibaka and like people liked the trade. And I was like, you're all crazy. Like you don't trade a wing for an almost out of the league big guy, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Continue on Mr. Barrett, please. Yeah, so he's shifted a little bit more off ball and it hasn't improved his efficiency at all because of the fact that he's just not a good off ball scorer because the shooting isn't there. So look, that is the easiest element of your game to improve over time. It's Wiggins was a better off ball scorer in Minnesota than Barrett was in New York, but that's the jump that he made when he got to Golden State and really embraced that smaller role and became an all-star and a really important piece of their championship team until this year when... I don't know what's happened, but he he is no longer any of those things. So, you know, Harrison Barnes is another example of a guy who, you know, was an inefficient on-ball scorer early in his career, evolved into this quality role player, not not an all-star in his You're not case. reassuring Raptors fans. Like, this is like an all-frustrating guys team that you're mentioning. Like, an all, they look like they should be way better than they actually are. Guy, I call them the DeAndre Hunter all-stars. He may be ascending to the to the throne of that team. It is reassuring that you mentioned quickly was so important to them in this deal because I, I got to admit that I'm like 5% more skeptical of the Raptors trading for Toronto native RJ Barrett than I would be about any other team from that standpoint. Um, uh, you, went, you went specific, Toronto native RJ Barrett. Um, I, I should go there and just Canadian RJ Barrett is not specific enough as we change, as we change his title. Um, here are R.J. Barrett's shooting percentages from three over five years of his career. 32%, 40%, 34%, 31%, 33%. So that 40% looks like an outlier so far. He has never shot 50% on twos. 
just twos, like aside from like leave the threes out. He's never made half his twos. That's just flat not good enough. It will make him initially a blah fit with Scotty Barnes. And obviously this team is now about Scotty Barnes as that has been the case all season. It's one of the reasons the Siakam rumors just will not die is his usage is down. His points are down. He's trying to pick his spot. I mean, he has big games. He still has, he's still really good. Like he had 30 something in the uh, Detroit streak breaker the other night. Um, I'm going to, I am going to tentatively, I'm, I'm not going to plant a flag, but I've always said if, if there's like a, a continuum of RJ Barrett, optimism pessimism and like over here on the pessimistic side is like he just stinks he's a toxic asset and that is a word that got thrown around yesterday in my conversations with front office people and coaches toxic asset like you're swallowing his contract to on the other end oh future all-star rj barrett i'm like in the 68th percentile toward positive maybe the 73rd percentile toward positive i think rj barrett has a chance to be a good nba player and in fact has been for long stretches of his career, 10 games here, 15 games here, a good NBA player. I like that he's a jack of all trades, master of none. I think that's an okay kind of player to be and a useful kind of player to be. As long as some of the trades get a little bit like if you think he's a C plus B minus defender, he should be a B plus A minus defender. He has the body type and the toughness and the instincts to do it. If he's a D shooter, like can we make him a C plus B minus shooter. Like, I think there's a good player in here. He can do stuff with the ball. He can attack closeouts. He can screen and dive and make plays in open space. He had a little two man game thing with Brunson. And I also like that I thought, look, these little playoff things, you never know what to make of small sample sizes in the playoffs. His first whatever playoff games, the Hawks series from 2021, and then the first part of the Cleveland series last year were so dreadful, like Julius Randle in the playoffs level dreadful. That it left you wondering, like, is this this guy just not have it? Like, is there something about this stage that he he's just not built for it? And he turned the corner and finished the playoffs pretty strong for the Knicks. Quickly has not turned the corner in the playoffs, and you know I don't I don't suspect you'll get a chance to disprove that trend uh, to buck that trend this year with the Raptors. But I don't know what really to read into that because that's a tiny sample. He got hurt during last year's playoffs. Um, so he doesn't, and the whole Knicks team just crapped the bed against the Hawks uh, in 2021. But I, I do, I think, I think Barrett is, I guess what I would say is he's making, let's see, 25, 27, 29, the next three seasons. I'm rounding down. It's really 26, 28, 30, but I don't want to say 30, 30, 30 just sounds like too much. I'm going to say, I think he can play to, to the point that that is a neutral contract, that that's an okay contract. I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I, I, I it's not an enormous contract with a cap going up. I, I think toxic would be way too strong if that's the zeroth percentile. I may be in the, the 30th percentile on RJ Barrett on, on your scale. I think the playoff element with Quickly is a really interesting one because one of the things that surprised me you know, I think sometimes people think when they see my trade grades that I'm trying to be contrarian with what I write. And it's like, I'm writing without knowing what everyone else is going to say about this. I don't know what the consensus is going to be. And what you're writing instantaneously, you're writing while everyone is tweeting their reaction to this trade. You are, you see the trade and you're, you go like that's, yeah. that's, that's what's going on. Yep, exactly. So one of the things that surprised me is to read a lot of other people that I respect, John Hollinger, Zach Cram, say that they thought 
you know, to varying degrees that the Raptors won this deal because of the fact that quickly is a better player than OG Ananobi at this point. And the Raptors got the pick and, you know, RJ Barrett on top of that. And I think the playoff element factors into that to a degree. So, you know, the best projection system we have for players out there is the Tar- Darko projection system by Kostya Medvedovsky. And just recently, Quickly's rating surpassed Ananobi's for the first time. He's been better across the board in advanced metrics this year. I think the playoff element is a little bit of a concern for me. And then the other interesting one is to what degree has quickly thrived because of the fact that he's been largely playing against second unit guys with a Knicks second unit that has been, for the most part, much better than their starting lineup relative to the opponents they're playing. So, you know, if you look at the Knicks, most teams, they're starting their five best players. The Knicks have not started their best five best players over a period of time. And they have, under Tom Thibodeau, almost never mixed their starters and their bench. They, there's this extreme split. And that's one of the interesting things here because, you know, quickly was propping up those bench units. If you don't have his production, now I think that it's really incumbent on Tom Thibodeau to start staggering Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson's minutes in a way that he has not wanted to do at any point in the past. Yeah, sometimes, but, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. It goes back and forth with I call I in my notes it's the Jays stagger Julius and Jalen like can we just keep one of them on the floor the whole time like that seems to be a helpful thing 90% of their minutes this season have been together so very little staggering so far this year and look it's worked the Knicks are always really good with Emmanuel quickly on the court and that's part of the reason that his advanced metrics sing the way they do yeah. I and you know you know who's you know who's off the court for a lot of those minutes the other guy, Toronto, got in the street. Well, that yeah, that is the funny thing. Like, I I think the best thing like about when this you trade... say when you say the Knicks haven't started their five best players for a while, and I was like, oh, I wonder who that's an indictment of. Yeah. I yes, as, as great of a fit as Emmanuel quickly is with Scotty Barnes. Also, RJ Barrett is not the player that you would ideally want to put next to to Scotty Barnes with his need for the ball and his his three point shooting. So all that is going to make it really, he's a really fascinating test case to see how well his advanced metrics are going to translate in Toronto. And I'm, you know, I'm probably in the 70th percentile of Emmanuel Quickly believers in the league, but it turns out there are some Emmanuel Quickly true believers out there who are much higher on him than I am. As a, as an Emmanuel Quickly six man of the year voter. And I was frankly like surprised he didn't win last year. Like I, I was kind of surprised Malcolm Brogdon won and by the margin that he did, Malcolm Brogdon is fine. He was number two. On my ballot, I'm in the 82nd percentile of Emmanuel quickly optimism. I'm not quite a, a true believer, weeping New York fan. So sad to see him go. Um, so the by the way, bottom line for Toronto, I think this is fine. Like, I don't think it's great, but I think it's fine. Like, I think it's a nice little deal that helps them this year and going forward. You jumped my next question, which I was just going to flat out ask you and then answer myself. Who is the best player in the trade? I still think it's OG Ananobi, especially like. You look at the way his skill set scales to the playoffs. New York hasn't had a player like this. You know, they who's the best wing defender that they've had in the Thibodeau era? Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett, Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah, there's a bunch yeah. of like oh good guys, yeah. like good guys. But like OG at his best, and I uh, the steal decline this year, I don't get it at all. Like if you look at his rate of steals to deflections, which usually track each other pretty closely. He's converting a few less deflections into steals this year, but his deflections rate is way down as well. So 
man producer dan points out in the uh the chat reggie bullock is the the next wing defend best wing defender which i, I think is perhaps its own indictment of the group uh, producer dan producer dan is a knicks fan who remembers Alfred Payton starting at point guard for the New York <laughs> Knickerbockers in the playoffs and probably as a result has very fond memories of whenever Emmanuel Cookley would step on the court for not being Alfred Payton. Uh, the answer is OG Ananobi. And look, I respect, I, like, I don't think it's a landslide. And like, I will, re I can read and digest the argument for quickly being better than OG Ananobi. You just said in some metrics, he has passed OG Ananobi. Personally, like, I don't really think it's much of a debate right now. I just think OG Ananobi, it, it, his skill set is just so important for postseason basketball. The ability to guard, he guards every position. I mean, Toronto would have him guard centers sometimes as a primary assignment and hit 40% on spot-up threes. Yes, you would like him to do a little bit more in the half court, and can he, can, he be, can he be a little less mechanical with the ball? Even his bully ball game, which people think is an asset, and sometimes it is. It's like, man, can you just like get somewhere sometimes? You just like speed it up a little bit. I still think, given that his we know his ceiling is in the defensive player of the year conversation. Like for a wing, tweener, forward, whatever you want to classify him as, that's extremely rare. Like there are just not many wings who have gotten that high in that, in that kind of race. And he's one of them. So I still, I still think it's him before we leave Toronto and go to the Knicks. I do think it's interesting to zoom out now and like steam won the championship five years ago. It's been a while. Um, the Siakam thing is hanging in there and it, hanging out there rather. Um, it's interesting if you just if Barrett if Barrett ends up in the very middle of like the Barrett continuum is just like okay like not as good as I think he can become not toxic like what do the Raptors really have now like zoom out and like uh, let's assess like so they have Scotty Barnes and Emmanuel quickly that's good like I like that Scotty Barnes is a stud might make the All Star team this year Grady Dick has barely played Malachi Flynn who they included in this trade as a throw in they picked one spot ahead of Desmond Bain. Christian Coloco, uh, who's another critical draft pick for them, has been out with like respiratory issues the entire season. They traded down from the 20th pick to the 33rd pick and drafted him in the Thad Young trade. Thad Young has not really done much for the Raptors. That was like the emergency. Can we just get Nick Nurse another guy? He's playing our seven guys way too many minutes trade. And Precious Achua, who I think is like not a small deal in this trade, more for the Knicks than the Raptors. Um that was the only thing of note from the Kyle Lowry trade. Like, like what else mm -hmm. now? Grady Dick. I'm not like, it's not a big deal that he's barely played in the first couple months of his rookie season on a team that thought it was going to be decent. Like that's not totally abnormal, but if you zoom out, it's like, man, you know, we'll see what happens with Trent and free agency. And we'll see if, and when they trade Siakam or resign Siakam, like that, that salary slot will become something we talked about. Barrett Barrett's important. You know, they got, a, they, they got some distance to cover now as they, as they pivot eras. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Indiana as a comparison because one thing I've been observing lately is everyone thinks of this Pacers team is like this really young team on the rise. And if you look at it, Benedict Benedict Matherin has been out of the starting lineup for a long period of time. Obi Toppin just moved to the bench. Like, they're not necessarily starting old guys around Tyrese Halliburton, but they're only like young player who's really shining as part of the season that they're having in that in-season tournament run is Tyrese Halliburton. And like, he's so good. It almost doesn't matter because he's just that special. But I think that is maybe the risky run when you focus too much of, you know, your, your 
return in a trade on young talent as opposed to draft picks is, you know, you maybe don't have the the draft picks that grow into supporting pieces around that star. Speaking of the IST, when do when do we reach the expiration date on the Lakers using the in-season tournament as an excuse for their middling season? This is like it's it's like they had to travel to Indonesia and play for three weeks straight and then come back to Los Angeles. Well, you know, I mean, the IST, I mean, look at the Pacers. as They've been muddling along too. You had to go to Las Vegas and play like an extra game. Like, I, I it reminds me of when LeBron hated the play-in tournament. And it's like the reverse of that. Like LeBron hated the play-in tournament until he needed it. LeBron loved the IST when he won it. And now it's like, it's the reason for the Lakers being the 23rd best offense in the NBA shopping for mother's day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way, but Macy's gift finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for mother's day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first mother's day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's gift finder has so many great gift ideas. You can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to a hundred bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more or gift lists. Like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like studio pro model beats, headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Let's talk about the Knicks. Uh, we talked about Ananobi. We agree he's the best player in the trade. Uh, Barrett, we talked about. Quickly was not going to reach his ceiling, whatever it is, in New York. Um, although he and Brunson always played well together, I think the Knicks thought, I don't know if that translates to the playoffs when teams are going to slow the game down, try to hunt our smaller guards on defense, playing two of them together. We don't know how viable that is in the playoffs. The interesting thing about this is, obviously, Ananobi's a free agent. He is represented by CAA. One of his agents is Leon Rose's son. Uh, he used to be represented by Clutch, by the way. People have forgotten about that. In which case, he would not probably be on the Knicks. Um, but now he, he is. somehow found his way to the Lakers instead. Now, now he is. Um, uh, and they keep the Knicks all the first-round picks they've been hoarding for this, like, theoretical star trade that has not happened. Almost happened with Donovan Mitchell. Giannis and Embiid have kind of come and gone as potential suitors, at least as potential players they might chase, at, at least for now. Um, but they still have all of those things. I think they will miss Quickly's ball handling and just zip. Like he brings a little randomness and zip to their they're like a bad organ. They just hit you and hit you and hit you. Quickly brings a little like, you know, just moves around and bobs and weaves and shoots threes. It's unpredictable. I do think his his playmaking, this that will be the test in Toronto is like half court orchestration. How much can he level up? Because I think he's just okay there. Defensively, he's been pretty good. Um, but Ananobi fills the need. I think, I think an, a, a smaller part of this trade for the Knicks is like 
he, I, I presume he will play the minutes Randall is out and give them a little more size than Josh Hart, who's been masquerading as their backup four. I think that will help. Um, and yeah, I mean, I and, and they have all of their all their picks, which which raises the question of, you know, I mentioned the Suns and the three big salaries. They've got forty five, fifty million dollars salaries. The Knicks have. You know, Randall's got two years, about 31 a pop after this. Brunson has one year at 25, and they've got to be pre-planning for the giant Brunson raise that's coming once he turns down his player option. You know, like, Randall's, we'll see if Randall's on the team beyond the expiration of his contract, but his number right now is, like, a, a good number for him. I'm curious what Ananobi gets. Um, his max starting salary is around $42 million. I think that would be a disaster for the Knicks or for any team that signs up to that amount of money, unless you just win the championship. Like your Philly, you just like, he's the missing piece. We're going to pay him deal with it later. I think there's a pretty good chance. That would not be a great contract. If you get him, let's pencil him in at like 34. If you get him at 34 Randall at 34 for one more year, can you squeeze in one more big, but not huge salary, like a 30, 25, like DeJounte Murray, maybe I think is a name that has already been rumored. I'm not saying there's been any talks. I have no idea if there's been any talks and stay under the second apron at least. Cause they also have this like Fournier expiring contract that it's not expiring. They have a team option on them for next season. The clock was, is kind of ticking on that. I am curious if they have another move in the bag for this season. And as far as Achua, I think he's pretty good. I think they have addressed their need for a center. I did not want them to go head over heels and like splurge on some stopgap center. And he's restricted. So they can decide, is he someone we want long-term? And if so, we can let Hartenstein walk. Like one of those guys will be on the next year and one of them won't. Uh, I think they checked a lot of boxes with this trade, but I'm curious what you think about their team as constructed in if you think there's another move coming here this season or should they just stand pat? Well, the interesting element of that is, as we've talked about with so many teams over the course of this year, that if you want to aggregate salaries and you're anticipating being a second apron team, that you have to do it before, you know, the, the end of the season to be able to take advantage of that, that, or, or skirt, I guess, that provision of the new CBA when it takes effect next season would maybe argue for making that move now. And yeah, being able to keep the Fournier salary out of this trade. Look, when I first saw this deal, I sort of expected that it was going to be Fournier and more draft picks would have been the return rather than, you know, something built around Barrett and and quickly and, and fewer draft picks. So I, I also, one thing I think, I think a lot of people are like putting that Detroit pick that the Knicks have in the same category as the Washington pick that they got in the same trade. You're talking about, to be clear, you're talking about the first round pick, not, not the second second, that they traded to Toronto. You're talking about the first round pick the Knicks have from Detroit, which came from like a flurry of draft day moves, cap clearing moves. It's one to 18 protected this year. Detroit will keep it one to 13 protected next year. One to 11 protected the year after that one to seven protected in 2027 and then converts to one second round pick. I'm interested to see what you think about that pick. Are you are you on the school of like, they may just never get it? No, I'm on the school of, if I were running another team, that would be the single pick I would be trying to get more than any other pick in the league because I think it's undervalued given, yes, 
there's the possibility of Detroit pivoting into another rebuild after this and staying bad for a period of time. But I think it's more likely, like you've seen the talk about them going out and trying to get OG Ananobi was, I think, one of the names that was mentioned until this trade happened, uh, a veteran forward in free agency to complement the team. Like, I think it's more likely that, you know, as we saw with Houston is a response to their last couple of seasons. They pivot hard the other direction of we need to try to make improvement right now and get veteran players that are going to help support the development of our young players on the roster. And you end up with the 11th pick in 2000. You know, the 12th pick in 2026 or the 11th pick in 2027. That's a really interesting take because I'm not sure how much I get what you're saying. I guess to me, like you mentioned, Houston um, and Oklahoma City owns their pick this season, top four protected. Like that pick could be fifth. The best this Detroit pick can ever be is 10th. And so I, I, I didn't think of it as that attractive, but that's interesting that you. I I have the beholder. Like the Knicks will get this Dallas pick this year. They have a Mavs pick that's one to ten protected. So barring cat catastrophe, what am I saying? A catastrophe, <laughs> a catastrophe in <laughs> Dallas. Um, they will get that pick. The Knicks will. That's interesting. That's an interesting take, KP. I didn't think about that. The wash. So the Washington one. Why does the same not apply to Washington, which is one to twelve protected this year? So scratch it off. One to ten protected next year. I think you can probably scratch that one off. One to eight in 2026. No hope that that's like the 12th pick in 2026 that Ted Leonsis is like, yeah, we got to get ready for our move to Virginia. You know, get the get the Virginians into Wizards basketball, blah, blah. No. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they that does descend a, a bit as well, but you have less time and they are starting. They are at square run right now, the start of a rebuild. So I think there is the appetite for a couple more years of losing in Washington in a way that there probably is not in Detroit. Honestly, their fans have been rooting for losing for the better part. Right. But yes, stage one is loosely known as the Jordan Poole not facing the basket decides to turn and shoot a three-pointer from 32 feet away stage of rebuilding. Also, Jordan Poole is still under contract that entire period of time. So He's been, I mean, I know he's been kind of a punchline this year, like the walking the dog thing that went wrong and the three against Boston that Porzingis blocked, which essentially matched my description of, he just like turned and decided to shoot. Um, it's unbelievable how not good he has been this year. Like remember there was this whole, like he might average 30 a game and lead the league in scoring kind of talk just because the wizards would be bad. His scoring average is like way down. Like everything is just, they are, Kyle Kuzma's playing hard and, and sharing the ball and generally playing good basketball. Kula Bali, we've talked about. We like him. They're a rough – it's it's a rough watch right now, the Wiz. Very much so. DeLon Wright but, coming spin, backwards. Dude, apropos of nothing, Tyus Jones is on a heater right now, and they acquired Tyus Jones. Like, I, there's this whole sort of revisionist, like, did they get fleeced in the Porzingis deal? Like, somehow Boston got the picks and Porzingis in that trade, which seems, like, implausible now. Um but Porzingis had this player option. Nobody trusted his health. And they also got Tyus Jones. And I think their hope was like, we can turn Tyus Jones into a first round pick at some point. There was just widespread skepticism about that. Like all the G all this front office people I talked to were like, if Tyus Jones were worth a first round pick, they'd already have it. I still don't know that they're going to get that, but there are a lot of teams right now that are kind of knocking on the Tyus Jones door. He's playing really, really well, like totally under the radar, having a great season. Yeah, yeah, I 
I think that's a more of that trade being so favorable for Boston at this point is more of an indictment of Memphis right now than it is of Washington. I don't know what the hell we were talking about. The Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks in the next move. Like, yeah. do you like DeJounte Murray as a fit for the Knicks? I do think the Hawks, I've been saying for months now, since it was clear the Hawks were not going to live up to my uh, cockeyed optimism about their season, that something was going to have to give here. And it's just sort of like, he's like, unless you really want to talk about trading the other guy, like he's the most natural fit. His contract is a good contract. Like that's a contract you can get. Like you're tempted to say New York just traded its way out of a dual point guard situation. Why would their trade assets to trade their way into one? But I know what his contract is. I know what he's good at. Defensively, he has never lived up to the hype. And frankly, I think has gotten worse in Atlanta, but he can be a plus defensive player. Um, do you like do you like that idea for New York? I don't love it. You raised some some good points. I, I don't think the dual point guard aspect matters quite as much because defensively it's not going to be a virtue in the playoffs with Murray's size and his ability to defend multiple positions. I I think you know, it depends how much it costs you. Like if if Murray could be a stepping stone, you know, if he's the guy you send back, if you're trading for Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland and it's like, hey, look, you're getting, you know, a guy who's been an all-star in this deal, then I think that makes sense. If that's the last move, I, I don't think so because I think Murray is still more valuable with the ball in his hands than he is as a shooting guard. And I continue to hear that Cleveland, which has done a decent job sort of staying afloat without Mobley and Garland and Mitchell in some recent that, games, just decent, doesn't doesn't want to entertain the notion right now and feels no need to entertain the notion of trading Donovan Mitchell, as I always say, and as people have other people have said and reported, like that changes in one phone call from Donovan Mitchell's representation or agent or whatever. But like, as of now, I think the Cavs are, have done pretty well gutting it out more than pretty well. Like you said, gutting it out, you know, man, Craig Porter jr. How the hell did nobody draft that dude? He is so crafty. He, he, like other teams must be annoyed by how crafty he is. Yeah, he never really popped for me in my draft projections. So I, I, you know, I was aware of him, but didn't know a lot about him before he started playing rotation minutes for the Cavs early in the season. And yeah, uh, you know, kind of an undiscussed discussed story this season has been Ricky Rubio, you know, potentially retiring, not playing basketball at all. And the way that that in combination with the Cavaliers injuries has really thinned out their depth. And Porter has done a lot to help stepping into that role. There's a good book. First of all, best wishes to Ricky. Every interaction I've had with him, is he's just a wonderful guy to talk to. There's a good book to be written about Ricky Rubio's career and all the franchise it franchises it touches and how he was sort of this... I don't, was he the last, like, international YouTube... Not, like, Wembenyama, you could go, like, watch his games. Like, R Rubio was this sort of, like, only the junkies really talked about Rubio. and like, look at this pass, and he scored all these points in some FIBA game. Well, and then you, it's, you know, it's just the, gotten a level more obscure because now that's like Alexei Pokashevsky playing his games in oof. a high school gym, gym in front of 40 people was like the equivalent of that modern in modern times. But Rubio was, I mean, his passing absolutely lived up to the hype. I don't mean to talk about his career in the past tense. I have no idea what's going to happen, but his passing was magic. And those Minnesota teams had flickers of just such joyous, um, raucous basketball on the Knicks. I do think part of the reason for this trade is defensively they're, they're quietly 19th right now in points allowed per possession. And you know, that has to be driving Tibbs bananas. Um, they just 
like even last year, they were a more offense oriented team than defense. They were not a good defense team last year. They have not been a good defense team this year. And I think they felt the need to address that. I do think as unbelievable as Brunson has been and Randall has settled in after a bad first 10 games, they just play their and, and, and the Knicks, to their credit, have been mixing it up a little bit more this year. Like, they've been running a lot of Randall pick and rolls where he can kick out to Brunson. Brunson can attack closeouts. I just think they're going to miss on the possessions where Josh Hart and DiVincenzo just don't create fast breaks out of nothing, which they're incredible at, both of them. I think they're just going to miss the zip that quickly brings. And I'm interested to see how much they miss it and if they miss it more than they think how they replace it. Because I, I just think they need the extra gear and and I mean this in a good way, like he's kind of a good chaos engine for them. And just he doesn't play like any of their other guys that have the ball. And I think they're going to miss that variety. I think there's a possibility the Knicks end up worse the rest of this season as a result of this trade, even though we agree that Ananobi is the best player in the deal. Just in terms of how much they were built around the success of quickly in that second unit the last few years. I, I still think it's a very good trade for New York because, number one, I think. OG's trade value is going to hold up in a way that Quickly's might not have if you were still playing the same role on whatever his next contract was going to be. And I think that would that and the playoff, you know, issues were probably factors in New York not wanting to extend him previously and wanting to move him before he hit restricted free agency. But you know, so again, long term, I think this is a great deal for the Knicks to be able to get OG and and in here without giving up a first round pick. In the short term, I'm less convinced because it does shift a lot of their value from the bench to the starting five. Uh, it will be it will be quite interesting to see. That's an that's an interesting way to look. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of time between now and the trade deadline. It's January first. University of Washington game begins in in about four or five hours, right? We got six hours, give or take. Six hours. Are and are you you're aghast? Are you like that the team? I just read a headline. They're aghast that they're underdogs again. They're offended that they're underdogs. I mean, they they are undefeated. They did beat this more or less the same Texas team last year in a bowl game in the state of Texas. So even though uh, Texas has a geographic advantage here, it's not nearly as sizable as last year. So there are reasons to be optimistic. I, I do think Texas should be favored based on the advanced stats, but like Washington has been in the college football playoff once since it existed. Like they've been serious title contenders once since I was in college, which is now a very long period of time. Uh, but that time they played Alabama in the playoff when Alabama was at peak Bama, although they, and then this was the year that uh, Tua came off the bench and led them to the victory in the championship game. Like they weren't serious championship game contenders this time. And look, they could have lost by badly. And I could look embarrassing. This could look embarrassing to say in hindsight, but they got a legit chance to go to the college football championship game. And I I don't know when that's going to happen again. So it's, it's a pretty exciting day. Well, I want, I always root for when I'm neutral in sporting events, I root for my friends to be happy. I think I I don't even I'm I must know some UT people and I'm just Brian, blanking Brian on Curtis. Them. Oh yeah. I don't know him well. We didn't overlap like physically too much in the Grantland days. Um so I will be rooting for UW uh to to win this game so you have a happy a happy new year and uh I'm sure we'll have some more things to analyze in the next couple of months in the NBA. Kevin Pelton, go enjoy the game. I, I wish you luck.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.